Good morning, family. When Mr. Henry sings, I feel like I just ate the best plate of, like, fried chicken and collard greens and, like, mac and cheese. And I didn't even like yams until recently. I like yams now. Just, I was, I was hungry, but cornbread, thank you. How could I forget? Just the right amount of hot sauce is just, that's what I feel. I feel the spirit of that food um, when, when Henry sings. Uh, sorry, it just was on my mind, so I said it. Um, welcome to the Big Apple Church. Uh, th- th- thanks for, for, for joining us. We made, we, uh, Harlem, we made the, the weather all nice for you guys. Uh, we heard you were coming, so we asked for 65. Um, now, we are uh, in the second Sunday of our, of our new theme here in Harlem. Our theme for 2020 is Forward. Um, and uh, we're going to actually take some time looking at how to get unstuck, because part of that forward momentum and forward motion requires to kind of get you out of where you are right now. Um, a friend of mine uh, uh, in Baltimore was driving to my apartment, and his car died uh, in essentially like maybe two or three apartment complexes from from our spot. And he and this is the winter time in Baltimore, so it was pretty it was pretty rough outside. But my, my thinking was, okay, just go, we'll put the car in neutral, and just roll it into a parking spot, and then we, we can come upstairs and deal with, deal with fixing it later. So it's me and my friend. I'm going to say his name. It's important to know his name. His name is Omar Antoine or Elijah Antoine. He's going to be here next week. So when I say this story, remember, remember who it is. Um, Elijah Antoine, uh, we're, it's a small car. So I'm thinking, I could probably do it myself, but let's both push it. And we're pushing this thing to the point that, like, I'm, I mean, I, I went outside in, in just socks, um, and my socks are now tearing on the gravel because of, like, we can't get this thing to budge. So we, we call some more friends down. There's now six guys they can't move this car at all. So then Omar is like, I got an idea. Let me take the handbrake off. <laughs> Maybe that will help getting the car to where we need to go. When you see Elijah this coming week, ask him about the handbrake. But sometimes like, it feels like, like when you're stuck and there's people that are helping, and like we're pushing and we're trying to move something, and it just feels like, man, no matter how hard I push this thing, I'm in the same place. It's not about pushing harder. It's not about getting more people involved. It's not about finding new techniques of how to move a stuck car. It might just be we just have to check the environment a little bit more and just release the brake. Today we're going to talk about one of the churches that were charged with breaking through. Their, their stuck spot. We're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. Ooh. You know, much like the Ravens offense, it's actually not as scary as you think. Um, it's not as scary. <laughs> so you guys can turn your Bibles to Revelation 1. Revelation 1. So some background here. This is written by John. Um, and... Part of the reason that I think we get so scared by, the, by this text is, I think, honestly, movies. I think movies and, and just kind of media has created this narrative in our heads that make the apocalypse and revelations something that's supposed to be feared. 
Um, when in actuality, um, the whole idea of, of Revelation and Apocalypse is that God reveals um, through dreams and visions his completed plan for humanity and the world so that we can process our right now in view of everything. Um, it's like a movie director um, giving an actor the entire script of a movie so he knows how to behave in the specific scene that he's in because he knows where the movie's going to go. Um, that's not something to be afraid of. It's actually very, it's, it's very in, in empowering, especially, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book, um, the world ends with Jesus' triumphant return. After defeating death itself, he comes to collect everything and everyone that belongs to him. And that's how this ends. So if you're told to play a scene in that movie, and the revelation is how it ends, there's no fear there. It's celebration of the fact that you know how this is going to end. The recipients of, this, of, uh, of, of the letter, uh, seven churches that are all in the thick of hardship and persecution, um, some external, there's political powers imposing violent, uh, murderous raid, uh, raids on anyone that's saying anything other than Caesar is Lord. If you, if you communicate anyone as Lord other than Caesar, you are at risk of dying in the time that this letter is being, is being sent. There's also internal conflicts and self-imposed damage from turning back to godless teachings and worldly customs. It's a bad spot right now for the churches that are receiving this letter. They were stuck. These churches were stuck because of circumstance and, 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 and political climate. It was a rough time. And then Jesus tells John to write, hang in there. Because the king is coming. We're in the process of trying to figure out, like, how are we going to make this work? And Jesus tells John to communicate, hey, guys, hang in there because the king is coming. That's the purpose and theme of the entire book. That is what Revelation is about. Hang in there because the king is coming. No matter what you are going through, hang in there because the king is coming. Now, that is a point to be to celebrate if you belong to the king. If you are on the side of the king, there is nothing but celebration attached to his return. There's no fear in the content of the book or the eventual outcome of the prophecy. There's no fear at all as long as you are on his side. You know, forward isn't just a catchy theme for sermons. It's actually God's plan for the church. It's, it's God's plan for, for, for Christ's return and us bringing us back to him that's always been the plan, even if it doesn't feel like it. And that's where the book of Revelation uh, takes us. Let's read um, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The revelation from, from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Uh, he made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Let's jump down to uh, uh, chapter 2 as we look at our first um, church in our series of, of, of studying out the, the seven churches in Revelation. We're going to look at the church in Ephesus. So Revelation 2, verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, uh, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. 
If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, um, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in, which is in the paradise of God. So here's a scenario that the, 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 the Ephesians find themselves in. Um, Jesus tells John to communicate to them and commend them uh, for their hard work, that they persevered through hardship for the sake of the gospel. They're intolerant uh, towards wickedness. They tested and exposed uh, false teachers. They, hit the, they, they hate the, uh, the, Nicola, the Nicolaitans. And they're doing so much right, seemingly. But I think we have, to, we have to understand, before we even get to what they have to change, it's important to understand how they got here in the first place. Uh, so let's look at Acts 19 as we, look, as we um, understand uh, the, the origin of the church in Ephesus. In Acts 19... This is when Paul establishes the church there, Acts 19 and verse 1. Just verse 1, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. We can jump down to verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing um, uh, persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. Uh, They refused to believe and publicly maligned the the way. Um, So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Um, this went on for two years, so the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles uh, through Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that, that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits uh, left them. Now jump down to verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance uh, about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, um, who made silver shrines for, for Artemis, um, brought, a lot of business for the cra- brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, uh, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income for this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and, in the, and practically in the whole province of Asia. He says that, God, that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. There is a danger not only to our trade, that, that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Um, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. We'll stop right there. Um, so the scenario, when Paul comes in to Ephesus... Uh, which is uh, on the, the west coast of modern-day uh, modern Turkey, people are, are, are violently in support of their local idols. Um, Paul, Paul doesn't pick a place that we would consider open to, to plant the church. It is a rough place where, where people... There, there's this guy, uh, Demetrius, when he hears that Paul is communicating that, hey, like these, these gods you're worshiping have no power... He, he, uh, we're going to read in a little bit, he, he organizes a riot that, that, that pulls uh, Paul and his guys in, into court to be, to, to be tried to potentially be killed because they're bad for business. The, the culture of, of, the, of the Ephesian environment was that, no, no, we, we, are, so, we are so down for the cause of these fake, of these fake gods and the money that, 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 that um, buying idols for them brings that we'll kill anyone that says anything otherwise. That's the people that become the, the, the church in Ephesus. Uh, jump to, to 1 Timothy 3. 
First Timothy 3, this is 50 years after Paul plants a church. Well, 53 years after Paul plants that church in, in, in Ephesus. First Timothy 3, in verse 3. This is about Paul giving Timothy instruction. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer or devote themselves to myth, myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversy, uh, controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, uh, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so uh, confidently um, affirm. So 50 years after Paul comes in, analyzes the scene, sees that the culture here is to worship false idols, he plants a church there, and then Paul tells Timothy, hey man, listen, they're still doing that stuff. Still within the church, there are people that, that, are, that are idolizing something other other than God. So Paul, I need you to stay there and take care of this problem. So then the church in Ephesus, I imagine at this point, is like, you know, Paul, get off our backs. Like, we, we get it. We, you, you were saying that when you came, you know, 50 years ago. Now you're telling your boy Paul, uh, uh, Timothy to tell us as well. So fine. So we'll do it. So they, they, they get challenged on this issue that, 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 we, that, that we, we see here already two times. And then you jump back to Revelation and you, look, and you look at what they got commended for. It's they were against this false teaching. They, 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 they took the instruction and put it into practice and cut out anything that looked like a false teaching. And then Jesus tells John to tell them, hey, guys, great job. Now, if they did that so well, then what's the issue here? In Revelation uh, uh, 2, 4, it says, Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. What seems like what happened here is that in their attempt to hold unswervingly to Jesus' teachings, they forgot Jesus. They forgot the love that fueled them when they initially gave up everything for the gospel. They got so caught up in doing stuff that they forgot why they were doing it. You know, when you've been around for a long time, especially when you're told to hold on to sound teaching, because you're aware that unsound teaching exists, we can get so caught up in the rules that we forget the reason. We get so caught up in the structure that we forget the scripture. We get so caught up in maintenance that we forget the movement. We get so caught up in the law that we forget the love of God. Because you've been here for a long time trying to hold on to the truth, and we forget who presented that truth in the first place. How did these guys get so much right? How did they get so much right but be so wrong? How did they get so stuck in the culture that, they, that their identity as Christians became secondary? How could they get here? I don't know, church. How did we? Now, the same word used in verse 4, for, for you have forgotten or forsaken your first love, is the same word that Luke uses in Luke 22, 6, to describe Jesus looking for an opportunity, uh, Judas looking for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to be betrayed. It's the same word. How could you sell this for cheap? How could you hand over Jesus for something less than that? The same word here. Now, Jesus doesn't say that stuckness is bad for church efficiency. In verse 5 of, Relations 2, of Revelations 2, it says, If you do not change this, I will remove the light. 
You will surrender your status as God's church if you continue to do these things without the love that drew you in the first place. Now, this is not a surprise test quiz that they were given that they didn't have time or instruction to prepare for. Jesus himself said the greatest command is love. Then Paul writes, hey, if I give my entire body up for the cause but do not have love, I gain nothing. So it's not a new concept of, oh, we had no idea. They had been hearing this forever. They just got so locked into doing, doing, doing that there was no heart. There was no love. It was just Christian behaviors. And Paul reminds the church in Corinth and I think the, I mean, the church in, uh, in Ephesus and I think us as well that even if you're successful, you gain nothing. This has always been the plan. There was, no new, there was nothing new here. And because it was always the plan, it's also always going to be the solution for the church. How do you get unstuck? How do you take the handbrake off? How do you move forward? It's probably love. It's, it's not some deep, complicated, we have to take stats and data and figure out how to. If we just love, and, and I'm listening to myself say that, and it sounds corny. It sounds, well, Stephen, I hear what you're saying, but what do we actually have to do? You know, like, like, sure, yes, love by all means, but like, how do we make this work? I think that'll keep us stuck, trying to figure out how to make it work without first getting down to goodness, man, like God has done a lot of things for us. God is absolutely, I mean, the fact that I'm here is a miracle. At some point in my life, at some point in my life, I did not belong to God. And something came along, someone came along and and presented to me the truth about his teaching, and I fell in love with it. And that iteration of myself might not exist anymore. And if we continue to try and do behaviors but not remember why we said yes in the first place, and even if we grow, we gain nothing. Now, This is not meant, of course, I mean, you can't just drone yourself and program, of course, into scheduled Christian behavior. Um, But at the same time, we also can't fall into the trap of of this kind of false dichotomy of swinging. So, okay, well, it's not about action. Then let me just focus on my heart exclusively. Let me just, like, work on my heart. And I'm not going to do the action if my heart's not in the right place. You've got to be careful with that. Um, You know, there's there's this, uh, you know, the whole, you know, God doesn't want a religion. He wants a relationship. That sounds adorable. It sounds great. The problem, though, is that people can take that and cut out the fact that there are things we have to do. There are just some things that in a relationship you have to do. Let's look at John 14 and see how, 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 John, how, how Jesus describes... <laughs> how Jesus describes... The, the, the connection between the two. In John 14, verse 15, uh, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. Right there. He's, not, he, he's marrying the two concepts here. There's not a get your heart right and then follow me. It's if you love me, do what I tell you to do. Jump down to verse 24 of the same passage. Does anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. 
These words you hear are not of my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So from God's perspective, the only opinion that matters in the whole universe, if you're not doing what God says to do, then what that communicates about your heart is that you don't love him. You can't, I love God, but I'm going to do me for a little bit. Or me and God are, me, me and God are cool, but I'm gonna, I'm, like, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I want to work on myself first. If you do not do what God says, what God experiences is a lack of love. And you can't word that in a way that's going to convince him otherwise. These are our combined ideas. Let's look at uh, 1 John 5, 3. First John uh, chapter 5, verse 3, says, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. You know, in, a, in trying to like, help our son Lucas um, understand God better, uh, my, my, my wife and I, uh, before he goes to bed every night, we, we read him uh, a Bible story. He, got, he, he picks which one he wants, and we read it. To be honest, this is my wife's gift. She is incredible at making sure that, that Lucas gets a healthy, like, daily dose of, of, of God. Um, and there's a book that we got that kind of, like, it takes the important, it takes, I mean, of course, everything's important, but it takes, like, these key Bible scriptures, and it kind of communicates them in a way that, that I think, I don't know. It's the way that, that they talked about Adam and Eve in the garden the lie that, that, that the, the serpent tells to end up convincing Eve to, to eat the fruit was, hey, if God loved you so much, why would he make rules? That's the lie. Now, sure, that, that, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not what how the Genesis account presents it. But, man, that, sounds, that's, that, that would get me. It's like if God was all this loving and freedom in Christ, and, well, then, then why, why, why would there be rules to follow? Maybe these rules are just made up by the church. Maybe it's made up church culture stuff. Maybe it's not even. Maybe this is not even what God wants. And, and I'm just I'm being forced to be a sheep and, and do what. The, uh, no, maybe God actually doesn't want me to follow. That sounds man. It's like that would have got me. But if you think about what happened to Adam and Eve, in that same hey, if God really loved you, would He tell you to not do that? And they believed it, and. Everything collapsed because the evidence of God's love is the existence of his law. The evidence of how much he loves you is the fact that he's told you what to do to get to him. That's, that's the proof of how we, we can be convinced that God actually genuinely cares about us. Do you realize how much he would have to hate you to not present this? Can you imagine if we had no access to God's thought process? And we were allowed to do whatever we wanted because God is loving and there's freedom. You know how crazy that would be? You know how crazy I would be? God loves us, therefore he gives us rules. And we cannot separate those two things. Uh, back to Revelation uh, chapter 2 and in verse 6. Um, it says, uh, after, after Jesus through John communicates to them that they've... they've Shifted away from this original desire to uh, uh, to love God, uh, to, yeah, to love God and use that as their motivation. So, you know, uh, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the uh, Nicolaitans, who, uh, which I also hate. I did some research about this. I don't think it's necessarily worth um, 
discussing. It's, uh, you know, it's the Nickelodeons, you call it that. And, and <laughs> uh, they, were, they were practicing customs that were aggressively against self-denial. And if you're self-righteous, you can be very annoyed at seeing someone living out whatever they want. So even though, again, the, the, the Ephesians were, were doing the right thing and they hated the, the idea of an unrestrained life, it was still discredited to them because of the, the fact that they were doing it with, with, the, with, with the wrong heart. Now in verse 7, this is where Revelation stops being scary. You because know, up until now, it's kind of like, this is kind of scary. To, to think that, that I can do all the right things and kind of forget why and end up having the light removed from me. Verse 7, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who is victorious. Now we're, now, now we're talking, this is like military terminology right now. Implying that whether you see it or acknowledge it or believe it or not, there's a battle going on right here. And it's not just team A, team B. There is a side that is victorious in battle. And if we're on that side, you get paradise for eternity. Which is, which is way heavier than whatever denial you have to do to get there which is way more substantial than, than, than the fight and the push and the struggle and the failure and the, 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 the grinding to kind of just make something happen. When you get paradise, yeah, we had to work hard. Yes, we messed up. Yes, we, we, we blew it majorly, but goodness, thank you for God's mercy. And now we get paradise. And that's how, the, that's how this ends. Like, it's, it's, it's seven verses, but what Jesus is telling the church in Ephesus here is that, guys, at the end of all of this, if you can, just, if you can, if you can repent from this issue, if you can get your heart in the right place and become victorious at the end of all of this, what you get is mind-blowing. Just think about if you could go back in time and talk to a stressed version of yourself about today. It's like, listen, I know, I know you think we're not going to get out of this situation, but I promise you, I'm coming from January 12th, 2020, and we're okay. Things are a little bit, you know, it's not amazing, but, but we're okay. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> many years ago, I, I, I get myself in trouble a lot, um, Many years ago, I was at a, uh, a, a, a leadership camp in, uh, in South Africa. And I've mentioned this story before, but I think looking at this passage from the stance of us being guaranteed victory has kind of made me think about this differently. Uh, I have, you know, um, a, a, a condition that's called I like winning um, competitions. Pr pray for me. Pray for me in my, in my heart. Um, but... We were at this camp, and there was a zipline slide that you would hold on. You would climb up very high up and take the zipline from one side of the lake to the other side. You would let go towards the end of the lake and just swim out the front and get back in line again. And then my friends and I 
decided that, like, well, let's see who can let go the earliest and drop the longest. Um, as just, you know how you know how guys are. Um, let's see who can who can drop the earliest. You know, because that's how we prove ourselves to each other. And I let a bunch of them go first. And my thought was, well, if I just I can guarantee that I win if I just don't grab the zip line. If I just jump off the thing, mathematically, there's not a longer distance I can fall than anyone else. If the game's over, I win. So I wait for them to go, and my turn. So I hold it, and I let go, and I just run off the thing. Run off, boom, into the lake. I don't know how high you have to fall for water to start to have, like, solid qualities. Um, But I'm pretty sure I was, like, at that height. Because I got hit, and I immediately, like couldn't breathe. And not because I was underwater, but because, like, my ch- also because I was underwater. Um, but, like, I got winded. And I've, at, that, at, that, at the time, that had never happened to me before. And if you've ever been winded for the first time, you think you're done. Like, oh, that's it. I guess, I guess that's how I die. Uh, so I'm winded, and I managed to kind of pull myself up on, you know, uh, in the surface. And the guy that's running the zip line is like, hey, kid, are you okay? Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm not good. It's like, yeah, I'm good. And then he, uh, one of the, the assistant comes down to reach over to, to, to grab my hand to pull me off to this side. I'm like, no, no I'm, I'm going to swim to the other side. I'm good. So I decide just to prove how good I am to swim the length of the lake that you're just, I mean, that you're supposed to drop on the other, other end. I have a life jacket, so my thought is, hey, worst case scenario, I'll just kind of take my time and just kind of bobble on the, 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 the way there. Um, Nigerian bones were just, like, denser and heavier, and I didn't get the Nigerian life jacket. So I started to realize that I can't actually just, like, float. Like, every time I stop, I'm dropping. Um, So then it's fine. I'll just, you know, doggy paddle my way way to the end. But the fall had actually, like, like messed up my arms. So I'm just using legs now with my arms kind of dangling. Um... And now I'm, like, getting really, really, really tired and swallowing lake water. And I and think, hey, are you okay? I'm good. I'm fine. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm great. And, and, and then when I got too far, about halfway, so I can't go back, um, I start, like, I, I'm not going to make this on the swim. So let me just kind of let myself go to the bottom and kind of hop off and like, like bunny hop the thing, which doesn't work if it's a deep lake. But I wasn't thinking that, so I let myself drop, and then when I went to go kick, it's just mud. And now I'm like, now I'm underwater with my feet in the mud, and I, I, I remember putting my hand up to see if I can just, if I can feel sky, then like, I'm not too far, and there was nothing. So, forced my way up again, and then there are these like, uh, these, like, it's like algae, like this thick, like, like octopus tentacle algae that is now wrapped around me. And, and then it hit me, this is actually it. This is like, they're going to have to tell my parents that I jumped off the zip line thing, said no to multiple, hey, like, we can help, and then I died in the lake because I couldn't make the swim. And it, I mean, feet, like, feet, now, granted, I must have been 14, 13, 14, but, like, the fear of, I blew it, just, 
it, it paralyzed me. And I honestly just kind of remember being under the water, because it's, it's, it's muddy and it's, it's, it's brown, so you can't see anything. I'm like, like this, this is it. And then one of the guys that worked there reached in, grabbed the, just, and just yanked me, yanked me out the thing. They like swam down, pulled, took me to the edge, and just dumped me on the side. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I normally, when, when I normally bring that up, it's normally about like trying to tell people you're okay when you're not. Um, but I think in view of this passage, that fear of there's no way I'm going to get out of this because I put myself in this situation, if I could get my 28-year-old self back 14 years and tell, like, Stephen, I know you messed up. I know this is all your fault. I know that, that you should have said yes to help before. And I know you're very scared right now, but someone's going to come and get you. Like, I know, like it, I know you can't see them because it's under here and you're tired. And it, but, like, I promise you, if you just hang in there, someone is going to come and get you. And that's the message of Revelation. Say, yes, we blew it. Yes, it's our fault. But if we just hang in there to the right thing, even if you can't breathe, you can't see, you, can't, you don't even know what direction to go, if you just hang in there, someone is coming to get you. There's, there's a phrase in, in, uh, in South African culture. Uh, it's called, are you winning? And are you winning is kind of like, are you okay, um, you good, uh, except that it's, I think in, in America, when, especially when, when we think winning and we think sports, are you winning implies, are you, you have a higher score than the other team right now? Like, are you currently in the lead? In South Africa, it's not so much a right now as much as it is like, hey, at the end of the day, are you, are, are you going to be fine? Um, so, like, uh, people will ask, like, you know, you're in, you're in the middle of a project, hey, are you winning? And that means, like, is this going to, are you going to be okay after this is done? Um, and my dad would say it all the time. Like, all the time he would ask, hey, you know, are, are, you, are you winning? And it was annoying because I didn't like that I wanted to make it all sporty. But I think that question of are you winning, if you kind of just shift the grammar a little bit, and say, hey, at the end of the day, do you win? Like, do, like, sure, aware of all the craziness. At the end of the day, do you win? Because if you do, and now you know how the movie ends, now you know how the whole thing wraps up, what you're feeling and experiencing now, if you end up winning, that can get us unstuck from that situation. Because if we're unsure of the victory, by all means, stay stuck. It's not, it's not worth moving. It's never worth moving if, you, if you're not guaranteed the victory here. But Jesus is saying that to the victorious, I will give heaven. And then you just have to trust, you, you want to trust Jesus' word or not. But if we can get ourselves unstuck by remembering why we did this in the first place, we are promised by the same guy that promised the light and then the sun happened, we are promised heaven. I don't know how your resolutions are going so far. It's less than two weeks into the year. But as we look, as we take these next couple of weeks to, to, to study these churches and study ourselves and study God's word and study God's promises, 
and really, and I hope genuinely understand that revelation is not, is not fear, it's, it's victory. If we can take all of our right now real life problems and issues and, and shortcomings and present them to the master of everything, we're promised victory. Listen, there's, as, as much as I love my New York Giants, um, we just have, exactly, you heard the, the pain in that, yeah. We just, you know, we haven't done well for a while. If, if God said, you know, Stephen, I know it looks crazy, but I promise you, you guys are going to win the Super Bowl next season. Here, here's the thing. As, as a fan, I can, I can present an argument to say why that's true. Especially if it's God that's saying, yeah, you know what, God, you got, a, you got a point. Guys, football is nothing. Football is, is, is a sport that, it's, it's, it's a hobby that people make a lot of money from. Our lives, when God comes, comes here and says, hey, you're, you win, it's a big deal. So as we get unstuck, as we understand the truth of the revelation, as we move forward into seizing everything that God has promised, let's remember that the, 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 the secret might not be fancy themes and cool acronyms that spell something. and It might just be activate that love that you know exists in your heart already for a God that has given you everything. And then we get to see victory. Amen? Thank you guys so much.